Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Father, we ask you tonight for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest on us as we dive into the word, that it would be alive and active, that it would be sharpening us. We pray tonight that uh, as we look at Revelation, that there would be things that would jump out that we've never seen before, that your Holy Spirit would be helping us to go on this journey of understanding the book of Revelation with great detail. Holy Spirit, lead and help tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in our series on the book of Revelation, and uh, tonight we're uh, doing session 57, the sixth trumpet. And uh, what you may not know is that uh, the, uh, the last session before this, when in the chronological order, session 56, was uh, the, the sixth trumpet. So tonight we're doing seven, I'm sorry, sixth trumpet. The last one was the fifth trumpet. Well, the fifth trumpet was the demon locusts. And so if you guys can remember uh, the session on the demon locusts, that was the one where the abyss opened up. And so uh, if you can uh, kind of picture Revelation chapter 8 and 9 and the way that all of those details flow together when we're looking at the trumpets, uh, the, uh, the details of the abyss opening up is that there wind up being two demonic armies coming up out of the abyss. And so the first army that we looked at was the uh, demon locusts, and we saw all the details and how gnarly they were. And tonight we're going to be looking at the, uh, the second army that comes out of the uh, abyss uh, in the sixth trumpet. So this is also called the second woe. Uh, for those of you who can recall, we were looking at three, the three woes, woe one, two, and three, which correspond with trumpets five, six, and seven. And so uh, the sixth trumpet here, I'm going to be reading now out of Revelation 9, uh, 13 through 15. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Okay, so I want you to picture what's happening here. We've got the greatest death toll of any one of the judgments happens in this judgment. The greatest single number of those that are going to die from one of the plagues in Revelation happens here in the second woe or in the, uh, the sixth trumpet. Okay, this is another army that's coming up out of that abyss that was just opened up uh, in uh, the, the fifth trumpet. And now also picture the timing of this. You've got the greatest death toll, the worst uh, plague, uh, you know, as far as total number of death out of all of them. You've got this happening right before the seventh trumpet, which the seventh trumpet is the return of Christ. So you've got this massively horrible moment that's occurring right before the second coming. So it's kind of like it goes from darkest to brightest, at least in the, the sense of, uh, you know, the activity that's happening on the earth. Obviously, for those that don't love the Lord, the return of the Lord in the seventh trumpet is even worse news than this demonic army. Now we're going to look at some of the details here. A voice from heaven. 
Uh, John hears this command from heaven. So he sees, a, or hears rather, I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. So John's hearing the voice of an angel. Now, which angel is this? It doesn't say explicitly, but it stands to reason that it's the same angel that in Revelation 8, uh, 1 through 3, specifically verse 3, that the angel that was the one that really jump-started all of these trumpet judgments. Uh, if you can recall, uh, the angel that's at the, the, uh, the throne, at the altar, he's the one that calls forth all of the angels that are going to blow these trumpets uh, in uh, 1, 2, and 3 of uh, chapter 8. And so it doesn't say that it's the same angel. What it does say is an, a voice coming from the altar, which is where that angel was described as his kind of uh, location. It, it seemed like he was a bit tethered to the altar. So it doesn't say that it's his voice, but a lot of times when it says a voice and it's the Lord, there's a little bit more clarity that it's actually coming from the Lord. If it just says a random voice, uh, you probably want to be thinking more from an angel as opposed to the voice of God. So, um, so I'm assuming that it's that same angel, and I could be wrong on that point. Now, what's he told to do? He's told to release the four angels. These are four high-ranking angels that have been posted here for a very long-awaited assignment. These four angels <coughs> have been posted at their, uh, at their position. We'll see a little bit about where that is. They've been posted at this position for presumably for centuries. I mean, forever. We don't know how long they've been posted. We have no back history on them that I'm aware of that gives a date of when they were posted. Uh, but the idea is that they've been there for a very long time awaiting this moment. Well, a few things that we do know about these angels, part C here on page one. The decree comes from the four corners of the golden altar. So we, we know that the instruction for these angels is coming from God's throne room. <coughs> Next, they're called the four spirits of heaven in Zechariah chapter 6. You might want to go. That's a great parallel passage uh, if you're looking for more information on these. Which, you know, one of the reasons we do this study the way that we do it, where we focus on the content in Revelation, but then I'll often give you other passages to go look at isn't so that you can see that I wrote an address down in the notes. It's so that you can go look that address up later on and get more clarity on the subject. And I want to encourage you to do that because you'll get way more. After you've heard an initial introduction of an idea, then you yourself go and study the text. It's so much richer. I mean, you, you'll know where you're going. You'll know what to look for. The Holy Spirit will speak. It's really, that's really what you want to be doing with that. So I want to encourage you to go back and look at Zechariah chapter 6. These angels are standing at the four corners of the earth, and they're holding back the four winds of the earth. So that's the, the description of these angels, what they're doing and what's happening here. They've been kept ready for this moment. They've been awaiting centuries with you know, no rest. They've just been waiting for this. They, I, what I think has been happening is these four angels, because of what they're now told to do, these four angels have been holding back darkness for hundreds or thousands of years or longer. They've been holding back darkness, and now they're told, stop holding back darkness. Now it's time to release that darkness. Let's, it's now the moment. So just in the divine calendar of God, there has always been a moment where 200 million demon horsemen were going to come out of hell. There was always that moment. There was never a, a question in the calendar of God what was going to happen? In fact, God had posted these four 
uh, angels at this specific entry point. Presumably, it's the shaft of the abyss is where they're uh, positioned. They're told, stay there and await until the moment comes for your assignment where you no longer hold them back. You now are, uh, are releasing them to go do their terrible ap uh, apocalyptic work. Okay. So they're bound at the Euphrates. Now, I just want to talk just a minute about the Euphrates. I want to talk about Babylon. I want to talk about the abyss. <coughs> because I think all these things are actually connected. So first, letter E here. The location point that we're told that these four angels are at is at the Euphrates River. Now, the Euphrates River is long. Euphrates River is in the territory of ancient Babylon. I just want to remind you that the judgments that we're looking at here in the book of Revelation are judgments against the harlot Babylon in as much as they are judgments against the Antichrist. Because remember, the harlot Babylon is the bad system in the earth. For decades, the Antichrist system is only bad in the earth for three years. I mean, three and a half. It's a very short period of time. So when you're actually talking about who's been bad longer, it's Babylon, not Antichrist. Now, maybe who's been more bad? Antichrist. But my point is with that is that the judgments that we read about in the book of Revelation, they're not primarily only against the Antichrist. They're against all of wickedness, which was rising for years. And the hub of all that is going to be Babylon. And the Euphrates River runs through Babylon. The location is, the connect, is connected to the shaft of the abyss. The reason I say that is because we know that after these four angels are permitted to release, it says that they, you know, they're now going to release uh, the, uh, the army. What has just happened right before that is the shaft of the abyss was opened up in, uh, in the previous plague in the uh, fifth trumpet. So these 200 demons, these demonic horsemen, they don't appear out of thin air. And it's not like these four angels had them in their pocket. So now it's like, release the little imps that are in your pocket. That's not what's happening. These four angels are standing, what I believe, at the shaft of the abyss. And what happens here now is the abyss has been opened up. The previous uh, uh, plague came out, which, by the way, all of them had wings. The locusts, they all had wings. Okay, So they're able to fly up out of the smoke. But now you've got a second plague, and there's some connection point where these four horses are required to release this demonic army that's coming out of the same place as the last demonic army. Okay, next point. Um, Babylon's connection to the gate of hell. In the end time drama, Babylon will be destroyed. We know that. But then it will become desolate forever, Revelation 18.22. The reason that that's important is because we know from uh, Isaiah 34 that Babylon is described as the lake of fire, that part of the territory of Babylon is going to be described as the lake of fire indefinitely. And so it's going to become a home of every demon, every uh, a haunt of, of every unclean bird, it says. The lake of fire is going to burn forever. Why am I bringing all that up? Because I think what's actually happening here is it, the, the top of hell, the, 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 uh, the surface uh, connection point or surface expression of hell on the earth is somewhere over in that portion of the Middle East covering Babylon and Edom and some of that territory. And that the shaft of the abyss, I believe, is actually located right there on the Euphrates River somewhere. And that that abyss then connects 
up to the surface of earth all the way down into hell okay and that, that shaft is then what these demons are coming out of in the fifth trumpet and in the sixth trumpet okay these uh, four angels that we just read about they're the ones that are serving as sentries up at the top they're, they are, are told that they are bound to that location and these demons are bound underneath their leadership at some degree, some level. And that they're not allowed to come up out of there until these four angels are told. And they're told here in Revelation chapter 9, this passage that we're reading in the sixth trumpet. And then they're released. But they're not just released randomly. I think that they're released very much uh, from the... Uh, from the place that will wind up being the eternal fire uh, on the earth, the, the, the place of uh, the lake of fire on earth. And if that's an idea that you're like, I had no idea that was coming, um, ask somebody, because that's a subject that we've covered um, a good bit uh, at different times. Okay, well now let's look at some of the details. The army that's released. Now we just read this angel is, uh, our voice comes from the throne or from the altar. Hey, you four angels, it's time to release them. Then we know that what gets released, it says that, uh, that there's this uh, great army that was held back for this very day, month, and year, and that they're released to kill a third of mankind. Let's read a little bit more about what this army is. Let's now talk about this army, because this army is very peculiar. They were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. So this is John saying, I heard the number. Uh, it was twice 10,000 times 10,000. Uh, some translations actually say 200 million. And so, because that's what that number is. And, and so you've got this demonic army uh, that has been bound until this time. And I just, I gave you the Jude 1.6 just so that you could see a little bit of the concept about specific demons bound in hell, kept in darkness, and that they're, they're kept for the great day of the Lord. All right, look at this. The angels that did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So there's this, this concept of hell having demons that are bound unto specific purposes, unto specific dates. So I just want to very much make it clear that when we see this army of 200 million, it says that they've been bound. That's very much the language of what we get from Jude related to other things in hell that have been bound for specific dates. They're released to kill a third of mankind. This will be the most horrendous uh, as far as death toll, numeric death toll of any of the plagues. I just want to give you just a little bit on why I would say that. <clears throat> the world population, part C on page three, the first three seals, we're going to see millions of people die. But the number's millions, and maybe it's tens, maybe it's even a hundred million, but it's, it's millions in the first three seals. The fourth seal, it says there's going to be a fourth of the earth is going to die. Now, a fourth of the earth, that's going to be a huge number. That's, you know, that's going to be some, uh, you know, billions of people. It's really, really bad. Maybe, you know, they, they project that by the year 2050, which I don't think Jesus is coming back in 2050. I don't know when he's coming back. But I can tell you confidently, it's not a short number of years like five or six. 
I mean, we can know definitively that it's at least seven or eight years out because we know at a seven-year point, we will know definitively we've got seven years, and we've got a lot that has to happen before that can even start. So just on the timeline, if you're wondering where we're at, it just, it just can't be closer than 10 years. Just can't be. But it also isn't 100 years anymore. And so somewhere between, you know, 10 and some, um, you know, 40, 50, 60 years. I don't know. Who knows how long? But anyway, my point was because I wanted a number that was easy to play with. They estimate that by the year 2050, the Earth's population will be about 10 billion people. Okay? I, I picked that number because it's easy to do math with, and I'm bad at math. <laughs> So I like easy numbers. All right, so the fifth and sixth seals, when they're released, that's going to be another millions of people that are lost. The first four trumpets, again, it's millions. When I say millions, maybe it's tens of millions, maybe it's 100 million, but it's not hundreds and hundreds of millions. It's not a billion, is my point. You've really only got two times where it's billions in a moment. The first time is in the fourth seal, and the second time is here in the sixth trumpet where it says a third of the remaining human population will be killed by these demon horsemen that come up out of the abyss. It's really intense. Now just to give you a little bit of the, uh, the picture here, this is what is described by Jesus and the prophets. The period of time where mankind will become scarcer than gold. Man, scarcer than gold. That is intense. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 24. I'm on the bottom of page 3. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be short. Isaiah 13, 12. I will make man scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of Ophir. Now that has not happened yet. And it is coming. Now I just want us to remind ourselves, if the Bible says it, it's more true than anything a politician says. Okay? If the Bible says it, it's more true than the truest thing you think you know. If the Bible says it, it is for sure, it is real, it will happen. And if it hasn't happened yet, it still has to happen. And actually, a, a little helpful telltale in your study of end times, if you're reading something, you're reading a Bible passage, you're reading a prophecy, you look at it and you're like, that hasn't happened. More than likely, it's an end time prophecy. Because here we are now at the end of the age. And if you've got these Bible prophecies that haven't happened, and a lot of them are really easy to identify. And all mankind will see the glory of the Lord. All mankind? Well, that never happened. Jesus came the first time, nobody even knew it. Most of the planet didn't even know. You know. And all the nations will gather and do this. All the nations have never done diddly squat. <laughs> You know, and, and everyone will, and all the people, if you got an all, everyone, that kind of stuff, those are tip-offs really easy. But here's my point. When you see a Bible passage that hasn't happened yet, you can start as your default, and do a little bit of homework, but you can start as your default. I bet that's an end-time prophecy, because most of the Bible prophecies about the end times haven't happened. I mean, uh, all of them about the end times haven't. Most of Bible prophecy hasn't happened yet. Now, that's an interesting thought. Most of Bible prophecy has not been fulfilled yet. Most of it is still future. But it's also not just future, it's related to the end times. 
We're going to have a really wild few decades here. Is my point. Because we're going to see Bible prophecy happening. Lots of it. All right, it's a literal army. Oh, wait, I'll give you one more verse up there. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. Just that whole concept of make the land desolate. Okay, now we're going to move on to part D, a literal army of 200 million. I just want to give you a couple thoughts here, I guess three. Um, you know, I appreciate people who are staring at eschatology. They're staring at the Bible, and they're going... What in the Bible is happening right now? I appreciate that. But we don't ever want to try to make life fit Bible. We always want to look at Bible and assess, is that happening? And be honest and not silly. And if it's honestly happening, cool. But if it's not, it's not enough that it's similar. It's not enough that it's, it's cute. We want to be honest about what the Word of God says, and we want to be true to it. Now, the reason I say that, it's the total normal American Christian thing to do to try to make everything in the news Revelation chapter something verse something. And just it's just not true. Just like none of it. None of it. It's like, well, is this the mark of the beast? No. I can tell you definitively, it's not the mark of the beast. Why? Because the context is wrong. We're not there yet. It can't be the mark of the beast. We're not there yet. Well, is this the army? Is this, Were these the locusts? You know, there was a locust plague in Africa. No. Did that locust plague come up out of the abyss and sting people for months and torment them, but they couldn't die? Well, no, it was just kind of like they ate a bunch of the grass. Right. So that was locusts, not fulfillment of Bible prophecy. It's really simple. We, we get a little silly, and I think it's because we're eagerly desiring to engage with the Word of God. I appreciate that. I think that there's an expectation in this generation that's actually the thumbprint of God on our spirits. That we're expected that we're going to start seeing Revelation chapter something happening. I think that's true. But we don't want to bend reality to, or rather, we don't want to bend the Bible to match reality. Okay? Now I say all that because there are, there are many well-meaning scholars that have made the army of 200 million China. Because China, they say, has an army of 200 million soldiers. That's a cool coincidence. And it means nothing. I mean, it, it means nothing. Not only that, let's say we have 30 years left before Jesus comes. I don't know how long it is. That number won't still be 200 million. That number will be up or down. I mean, let's say that however they got to 200 million, they keep that aggressive effort, it'll be 400 million by the time we get it to. So that's just, that number is not, that doesn't mean anything. So I just, I want to point that out because part of the way that the book of Revelation has become so massively confusing to so many people is because we interpret it symbolically when it's supposed to be literal most of the time. We make 200 million army mean, well, that we don't know where that's going to come from. No, we know exactly where that army is going to come from. The abyss. And furthermore, we know what they'll look like, and they don't look Chinese. Okay? They just don't. The number is not symbolic. The number is literal, and the army is from hell. The army is from hell, not of earth. 
Let's look at this army. Number three, description of the demonic horses. They were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice, 10,000 times 10,000. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which to inflict injury. You just have to do so much gymnastics to make this mean something else. There's no reason to interpret this. Demons coming out of hell look terrifying. Living creatures coming out of heaven look bizarre and glorious. They've got armpit eyes. That's not normal. It's just not normal. It says they have eyes under their wings. That's an armpit. That is not normal. We don't need to interpret it. It means, it means they see really well. No. They see everything. They see from their armpits, they see. When we see a living creature, we go, that's a living creature, we don't interpret it. When we see a demon from hell, it's a demon from hell, we don't interpret it. It's a demon from hell. And we're told exactly what they look like and what they do. They kill a third of mankind. Again, at that point, you're probably talking somewhere around like three billion people or something. Maybe two, three billion, we don't know exactly the number. Maybe four. I mean, that, is, that is a really bad deal. There's never been an army that's gone out and did that. Never. It's just really intense. Furthermore, it says that there are 200 mounted troops. What's interesting is the entire emphasis is put on the horse. And little to no emphasis is put on the mounted troop. But what we're now actually talking about isn't 200 million horses, it's 200 million dudes on horses. And both of them are demons. Okay? It says the mounted troops were 200 million, and then the 200 horses. But then these horses are not horses. In fact, it's like, John, I think you were just needing a word. And so you loaned one over, you know, from, from the Greek and said horse, but... I no, man. You should have started with dragon and worked yourself backwards from there. You said horses because they're like horses, it says. It says this. They had colorful breastplates. Now, it's difficult to know exactly is the they the horse or is the they the mounted troop. Or maybe it's both. Maybe both the horses and the mounted troops have it. The reason I give room for it could be the horses is because... It said in the last plague, which was the locusts, the demon locusts, the demon locusts had breastplates. So we've already got precedent that something that isn't a man-looking thing can have a breastplate. The locusts can. So it's possible that these horses can. I kind of think probably the horses and the riders both have breastplates. And thus I saw the horses in this vision... Those that sat on them had breastplates. Well, there it is. There it says, those that sat on them had breastplates. Fiery red, hastened blue, and sulfur yellow. So in this, uh, this description of these three different breastplates, it's possible that it's describing a coat of arms that's got three stripes, yellow, blue, and red. I don't think so. 
I think it's actually describing three divisions of the army. I think there's the blue army, there's the red army, and there's the yellow army, and all of them are of the same sort of demon thing, but all of them have got a different function, and it just so happens that fiery red would make a really good colored breastplate for the guys that breathe fire, and that hastened blue would make a really good color for the ones that are breathing smoke. And then sulfur yellow, yellow would make a really good yellow. Good on yellow. <laughs> sulfur yellow would be make a really good color for the uh, the yellow ones, the ones that are breathing out the sulfur. And so maybe that's not how it is. Maybe it really is that every one of them has the same breastplate, and that it's one, two, three colors, and that all of them do the same one, two, three plagues. But it seems to me that there are ranks. And so that's how I take it, uh, that there's ranks. Now, it says that they have heads resembling lion heads. What kind of a horse has a lion for a head? This is horrifying, which this isn't a horse. If, you, if your horse, if the horse head you've got looks like a lion, you sell that thing back, put it back. Get a different horse. Go back to the horse store and get a different horse. You don't want the one with the lion head. There's something wrong with that thing. It says that these have got lion heads like lion's heads, and that out of their mouths come the plagues of sulfur, fire, and smoke. Okay? It says that they breathe, these horses breathe this hellish, you know, smoke, fire, and sulfur that comes out of their mouths. But it's interesting that it describes, this is a, this is a little bit different language. It's, it later says the three plagues that come out of their mouths, fire, smoke, and sulfur. So you don't want to be thinking about like this angry lion creature just snorting and it's like, rrr, 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 and stuff's coming out. It describes global plagues that come out of their mouths. A global plague of fire, a global plague of sulfur, and a global plague of smoke. So it's not just that they're, this is their weapon, it's that their weapon is tied up in a plague. So that's, that's even worse. These are like mythical dragons kind of a thing. These different plagues. It says also that there's power in their tails and in their mouths. In their mouths, it says that they're breathing out the plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur. But then it says they also have tails with which to inflict injury. And the, t the description of the tails is just unbelievable. When you read it, it says... Uh, says the power of the horses, this is verse 19, 9, 19. The power of the horses was in their mouths, in their tails, for their tail, and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which to inflict injury. Now, I don't know that it's this way, but I will tell you that a normal horse doesn't have a tail. It's got a brushy little something or other back there. It's not just one tail like a cat. A horse has got a brushy tail. So there's all these different, you know, strands, uh, strands thank you, coming out of the horse's tuchus, okay? And so when you're talking about a horse's tail, now if you were to take that as a parallel over, which John is giving us a horse as our starting point, and then he's correcting aspects of it. He says horse, but not horse, lion head. He says, horse, but not normal horse tail, snake heads. I think we're actually looking at like a Medusa butt here. 
okay? I think we're talking about multiple snakes per horse, not one. I don't think it's just one, just one snake coming out of the back end. Maybe it is just one. That's horrible. I mean, we don't want that. But I think what's being described is the tail of a horse, but now instead of, let me, let me even give you part of the reason why on this. Satan can't create anything. All he can do is contort and distort. That's all he can do. He can take the truth, he can take what's real, and he can mess it up. He can mess with it. So he takes everything that was good in God's sight, and he jacks with it, and he makes it bad. But he doesn't invent something new. So I'm thinking, at the starting point, this was some sort of horse of some sort, and he's, he's distorted it. He, he's just made it worse and uglier and yucky and bad. So I think that there's reason to believe, and I'm not dogmatic about this, if you're like, I think it's just one snake. Great, you can be in the one snake camp, it's fine, I don't care. Uh, but I think that it makes sense that we're actually talking about multiple snakes, and then it says these snakes are there to inflict injury. So while this mounted uh, troop is on top of this demonic horse, lion, dragon thing that's breathing out all kinds of crud, there's snakes in the back biting people as you walk back. Like, Ow! I avoided the plague of smoke. Yeah, but then the snake caught me off the tail end of the horse. Like, this is just horrifying. And it's not just there for show. It says, with which to inflict injury. So these snakes off the back end of these horses actually will be hitting people. Now, I want, a strong, I want to give you a strong encouragement. Go read Joel chapter 2 slow. Go read Joel chapter 2 slow in relationship to this plague that we're talking about right now. Because I think Joel saw all this ahead of time. And he actually, he actually said that there's a significant reason for solemn assemblies even as late, this is my interpretation, even as late as the sixth trumpet. In fact, if the Lord is going to let me, I'll declare a fast as soon as the sixth trumpet happens. Because we still got a minute before the seventh trumpet. Like, why not? We haven't got a resurrected body yet. Let's go ahead and fast. But actually, that's the context of Joel chapter 2. If you look at the details, line upon line, Joel chapter 2, the solemn assembly, you know, that the passage that we all know is the solemn assembly passage, it's actually wrapped around the sixth trumpet. So go read that on your own. I gave you some uh, little decoders there at the bottom of uh, number three, top of page six. I'm now going to finish up here in uh, letter number four, Roman number four. Global effects of the sixth trumpet. I just want us to think about this because my intention with this series, grotesque as it is, is to paint an actual, uh, an accurate picture of what the book of Revelation tells us is coming. I don't want to add to it. I want to explain what's there. One of the impacts of the sixth trumpet is we're talking about a planet filled with bodies. If one third of the human population at that point dies, and that's whatever, three million, or three billion rather, two and a half billion, some huge number. If it's that big, and they all died that quickly, on top of everybody else has been dying from everything else. This is a tremendous amount of death. And they're, they're still there. I mean, honestly, I think, I think one of the greatest punishments to the earth in the midst of the Great Tribulation is going to be the 
the complete lack of reverence for the dead. You know, we normally have one person go and we all gather together for the funeral. So the proportion is, you know, one to a hundred. This is going to be so bad, there's not going to be any funerals. There won't be room or time or place and no place to bury them that everybody's be, going to be fleeing for their lives and everything else. There's not going to be a bunch of funerals going on. And so you're talking about a tremendous death toll. And I don't want to, I, I, my point here is the impact of what that looks like when all these people just died because of the demonic horses that are roaming the earth and everybody else is running from them. No one's thinking, I'm going to go get my buddy and bury him. Everybody's thinking, run for your life. And it's going to be left that way. Then you've got demons freely roaming about across the earth that just came out of the abyss in the fifth and the sixth trumpets. It's really terrifying. Another one of those little clues in Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 2 verse 20, I believe actually addresses when and how Jesus deals with this army. I think it actually addresses it directly. Large portions of the earth will be on fire at this point. You just think about the plague of fire. I mean, I don't like smoke and sulfur. I don't like the smell. I don't, I don't like any of that. But, I mean, if we've seen anything here recently, it's like, man, fires can start and they burn for a while. And then they spread over more area, more territory. What about when there's a plague of fire released from 200 million sources? Or even if it was just a third of that number, if I'm right that there's three divisions. Okay, so whatever 200 million is divided by three. That many sources going around breathing fire, starting fires and killing people with fires and buildings on fire. The planet is going to be on fire. And in addition to the smoke that came out of the division of the mouths of the horses that breathed smoke, you've now got natural smoke from stuff that's on fire. The, the world is going to be filled with smoke. Smoke is going to fill the sky. It's going to be horrible. The earth is going to smell like sulfur. I'll tell you one thing. The saints are going to be ready to go. After all that, we're going to be like, we out. We done. Blow the trumpet, Angel 7. Blow the trumpet. And we are ready for a resurrected body because we all smell like smoke. It's been bad down here. And we're lucky that, not lucky, it's the plan of the Lord, that the very next event is the seventh trumpet, and that's the rapture of the church. At the last trumpet, that's when the church should rapture. And so it's, we're going to be out right after that. But I want us to be thinking about ourselves operating in signs and wonders and miracles and maybe even solemn assemblies all the way up through this point to the seventh trumpet. Okay. Well, we're going to break up into groups at this point. I'm going to mix you guys up a little bit, put you in different spots today. Uh, how many groups we got tonight, Luke? Four groups of six to seven. Okay, so you're going to get into groups of six to seven, but uh, Luke Fredenberg, if I can have you back in the back. Okay? Luke Cooper, if I can have you over here. Uh, who are my other two? Caitlin, if I can have you. Uh, Andy, why don't you go over here? And Caitlin, you be over here in the middle. Okay. All right, so get into groups six to seven. Have a conversation. We'll come back. We'll do q &A. It's awesome. So in the midst of all this craziness, how does the concept of the city of refuge, the Goshen principle, uh, have, you know, play in all this? Um, let me just say it this way. There are principles in the word, both positive and negative, that we've only seen whispers of in the past, which we'll see fullness of in the end times. Great example. Uh, greater works than these. Uh, Jesus said, you know, anyone who believes in me will do greater works than these. 
That hasn't even a little bit happened. Not even a little bit. Not, I mean, not one one millionth of a percent. There's just none of that has happened yet. But everyone who believes in Jesus will be operating in greater miracles than Jesus Christ before the second coming of Christ, or Jesus told a fib, and he doesn't do that. The reason I bring that particular one up is because that kind of hidden prophetic destiny for the church has its fullest manifestation in the end times. Just like we read about the fullness of wickedness, and as bad as things are right now, they're awesome by comparison to where they're going to go. When wickedness is at its fullest. So the, the looking at the end times, the, the real difficult way to carry our hearts in all this is extreme good and extreme bad happening on the same day, on the same city block, with the same group of people. And that's a, that's a hard thing for us to get our head around. So Andy brought up the point about the city of refuge, you know, the, the, the concept being the land of Goshen. When the plagues of Egypt were being released on Egypt, in the land of Goshen, no plagues of Egypt. Everybody's walking around, they got light, they got no frogs, they're having a good time, they're eating, they're not dead, their kids aren't dead. I mean, everybody's good. While everything is horrid everywhere else in the land. We have that picture from God forever on purpose. Now, the difficulty is going to be, there's not going to be a land of Goshen. It's like every Christian on the planet, everybody go to, you know, Tijuana. We're going to go hang out. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have this little area. It's going to be sweet. We're going to have this little territory. It's not like that. Believers are going to be everywhere. But what the Word of God says repeatedly related to the concept of prayer and fasting and communities that pray is that the Lord releases protection in areas with communities that pray that is going to be different than other places. And so part of God's answer, I mean, hear me on this, part of God's answer to the demonic locust plague and the demonic horse you know, army that are going to come up out of the abyss is Acts 15, 16, I will restore the fallen tabernacle of David in those last days. Part of his answer to these plagues is that the people of God, there's not going to be anybody playing church anymore. That is so over. By the time we get to this point, there is nobody is playing. There is, you're in or you're out. And we won't put up with those that aren't in. We, there won't be any room for that because there's a chance they'll turn on us tomorrow and, and we're going to be in trouble. Everything is going to be so different. So you want to imagine a version of good happening that's as bad as these ugly horse-lion things. You want to be picturing what, what could be good to the degree that that is bad. And so the concept of cities of refuge, pockets of protection, where like... The Lord allows a group of people, let's say it's this building, we're in here pretty much night and day, and the Lord shields us in a, you know, I don't know, three blocks, and just nobody can get in, and nothing bad happens here, and everybody's fine, and the demon horses, they try to come up and they hit the invisible force shield, and they turn around and walk away. Something like that. I mean, we want to be thinking that way, because the, the saints are not the subject of the wrath of God that's being released in the Revelation. It's a really clear statement over and over. The plagues are against the wicked. 
But it also doesn't mean that the church can not abide in the purposes, not participate in the plan, and wind up okay. The church will be participating in the plan. We will be doing night and day prayer and fasting. We will be having house prayer. We will be walking in righteousness. We will be having a listening ear. The Holy Spirit will have been poured out, and we'll all be having dreams and visions at level 10. So when that's the case for the church operating like that, we're going to be in a very different spiritual climate so that there's going to be very real levels of protection. And that Now, what does all that look like? I don't know. Some, some, it's going to look different in different places. You know, the question I always ask the Lord related to prayer is how many, how long, and how deep? Because he says pray and I'll do stuff. But he doesn't say how many people have to pray. He says pray and I'll do stuff. But he didn't say how serious do they have to be in the prayer meeting. I mean, they showed up. That's a start. But that's very different than on the ground travailing. So what? how deep? And how long? You pray for one minute? One day? One year? One decade? How long do you have to pray? How many? How deep? And how long? And those, those questions will greatly impact the city of refuge concept, which is why I'm so grateful to the Lord that we got a little bit of a head start here on this whole, we've been doing this thing for 17 years, week, it's week, but we've been doing it for 17 years, so at least how long, we got at least a start on that answer. How many? Well, Lord help us. How deep? Probably help us again. But at least we got a start. So I think Andy asked a good question related to the cities of refuge. There is going to be that in operation in a way that we're not picturing. Just like if you never thought about this demon plague before, you never thought about this demon plague before. Just like that, you never thought about the cities of refuge impacting your future. That's going to be a very real part of the storyline. So excellent question. Glad that got asked. Okay, uh, back here, Luke. Yeah. Okay, so uh, is, the, is the demonic army ultimately under God's control or Satan's control? Yes. Uh, <laughs> The Lord is the one that has this army bound, but this army is, they're demonic. So whether they're taking direct orders from Satan real time, or they've just been told, hey, as soon as you guys can get out of here, go do a bunch of bad stuff. Go breathe whatever's in your mouth on people, and it'll be bad. Uh, there's there's a, a working together of both the plan of the Lord and the aggression, the rage of Satan, which really the entire end time drama I mean, it's like, is the Antichrist, you know, under God's control or under Satan's control? Well, under Satan's control, but then why is he allowed to exist if God doesn't have purpose for him? Exactly, because God has a purpose for him. And so the four angels that are bound at the river Euphrates that have got these 200 demon uh, horsemen bound, they're under God's control. But when these demons come out, they are operating according to Rage, aggression, demonic rage. The question specifically, why would Satan want demons to kill Satan followers? I'm sure he doesn't. But he's also not, he's, his rage, his fury is like a wild beast. We see multiple times he's described as the beast, the beast, the beast. Like a wild beast without reasoning nature. First deal. Second, I'm sure to whatever degree, he's probably hoping when those demon horsemen come out, they're going to kill just Christians. He just has it totally wrong on their scope of what they can touch and what they can't. And so, uh, so you know, the Lord is going to use the, the purposes. The Lord works for the good of those who love him. He is working in all things, including 200 million demon horses coming out of hell. 
He will work for the good of those who love him. And so uh, while Satan is absolutely empowering, uh, agitating, um, you know, potentially even appointing those 200 million, they will not be able to accomplish the purposes of Satan the way that Satan wants, like all of Satan's efforts in the last days. I mean, I just want to tell you very clearly, abortion is the objective of hell to destroy the generation that's supposed to usher Jesus Christ back into the planet. That is what's going on. When you pull back all the wheels, abortion isn't people working out you know, their issues and inconveniences and stuff. Really, it's an objective from hell in order to do the same thing that was supposed to happen in Jesus' generation, Herod releasing the, the death order on all the babies in order to do infanticide to deal with, we don't want that Messiah coming forth. Abortion in this land with 65 million that have died at the hands of abortion, it's actually Satan's effort to extinguish a generation of the forerunners. And of course, but Satan doesn't get his way because the forerunners are rising up anyway. We got some of them in this room. And so it's like, so the objective of Satan, it always gets thwarted. It's not like his plan ever is going to work, but his plan does have real pain, pinch, and consequence, but it doesn't ultimately work the way that he wants. You know? I mean, he thought crucifying Jesus was going to be a good plan. And God's like, oh, bro, you just don't have this figured out. I am going to use every one of your mal efforts to actually benefit my kingdom. And so you, you just can't win. So great question. Great question. Great. All right, Luke over here. So uh, the, the 200 million, when they're released, do they stay together? And it's like, okay, so you got all 200 million of them and all of them stay five feet apart from each other and just kind of, you know, like they're like a locust plague that just kind of goes this way. Or do they spread out across the earth? Um, the, the term release to me means that they are now free to go about however, wherever. Um, locusts operate in a swarm, but horses, while they, they have impacts, they, they travel. They're far more like go where they want, go out. They're far more wild in nature. You know, it's, they wouldn't, I mean, even for just grazing and stuff, they wouldn't stay together natural horses. And so, uh, so I think that what we're dealing with here is they are released to go out throughout the earth and part of my backing for that point is to kill a third of mankind. Well, it, uh, we've got enough details of what occurs in the, in the bold judgments. Because remember, there's still seven more judgments that affect human beings. We've got enough in those bold judgments that would make it... Uh, the, the details just wouldn't work if the bold judgments didn't impact... A third of the ge of the geography of the earth, where there's now no longer people, if the third of the earth that these demons come out is geographically tied to the Middle East and surrounding uh, geographic territories, there's there's too much human activity that goes on after this trumpet that would not that, that doesn't allow for doesn't doesn't uh, lend to is what I'm looking at doesn't lend to the human population. Uh, having been completely snuffed out from one-third of, uh, of a, a portion of the geography of the earth. Rather, it's one-third of the scope of humanity, meaning that the horses have traveled. 
Uh, so great question. That's, that's a great one. In fact, now that I've said that statement, as you're reading the rest of the book of Revelation, as you're looking at the bowl judgments, that, that kind of thing, think about that. Think about how those details line up and go, oh, yeah, actually, there's people there. There's people that are, you know, getting hit by that plague. There's people that are impacted by this. I mean, even the whole Jerusalem thing. Is, I mean, there's a lot of details that happened in Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem would be very much in the territorial area of where these things are coming out uh, in the broad sense. Great question. All right, here. That's a great question. So what's the emotional state of the church? Bring it down to you. What's the emotional state of you when all this is going down, the glory and the gory, You've got these demon horses that are doing horrific things to your neighbor, to your family member, to the people you grew up with. I mean, whatever, you know, people you go to see at the grocery store. And so you're grieving the pain of that and the loss of that and the, the grotesqueness of it. The smell, the sights, the... I mean, we just, we just haven't seen violence like what's coming. We just have never experienced it. But at the same time, we've never been baptized in the anointing and fire that is not going to just be in our hands for healing, but it's going to be in our minds for perceiving. I mean, we're going to be baptized with a significant upgrade by the Holy Spirit. And so these two things are in operation together. And furthermore, we're growing up into this. Remember, the wheat and the tares grow up together. It's not just the wicked and the, and the righteous. It's... The wicked are getting wickeder. The righteous are getting righteouser. And our mindsets are, are becoming cleaner and purer and righter. Just and truer your ways, O oh God. Just and truer your judgments. It's said multiple times throughout the book of Revelation. Well, like the wicked are going to continually be looking at good things and calling it evil. And looking at evil things and celebrating it, calling it good. The righteous, you want to be thinking about them on the opposite trajectory. Growing in righteousness, in understanding, in perception, in the ways of God, in the goodness of God, in the purposes of God, in the joy of the Lord. You know, I just want to tell you, the joy of the Lord is your portion. The joy of the Lord. When demon horses are around. It doesn't say, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. You know, let the peace of God rest on you and guard your heart and mind. Oh, except when there's demon horses. It doesn't work then. No. As believers, you can have joy in the midst of the storm. And so part of the great tribulation is the church growing up into that pure and spotless bride in her head. In the maturity of celebrating what God celebrates, growing in the things that he wants us growing in, perceiving life the way that he perceives it. And the whole picture will have us operating. I want you to think about it this way. Have you ever had a day in the last year or two where it was a bad day, but you had victory in the Lord? Where you walk through the bad day and you're like, today was a bad day, but I've got a right perspective. I'm praying. I feel his peace a little bit. It will be exactly like that, only a billion times more intense. It'll be the same. You'll have the peace of God. It'll just be a bad day. Your bad day is worse than it was, but your peace is better than it was. And so it's like, it's very, very much proportionate. Just, just remember, the Lord is not going to leave us as orphans. The reason so much of the church believes that the church will be raptured before anything bad happens is because there's absolutely no comprehension that God could be doing enough good in the life of the church that the church wouldn't just crumple under all the bad that we read about it's for sure going to be happening. The Lord knows how to reserve the wicked for judgment. 
while bringing blessing and protection on the righteous. He knows how to do it. So we want to imagine that even in the midst of demon horses, okay? But I'll tell you what, we're going to have some crazy conversations. I mean, we're looking out the window and seeing some wild things run by. There's going to be some jokes cracked with this group. I know. Andy, Luke, oh, yeah. All right, Father, we ask you in Jesus' name, would you give us clarity? Would you help us? Would you help us see it? Would you help us not fear it? Would you help us, Father, to see what the Word of God says and fully embrace it? I pray, God, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest on us as we study in Jesus' name. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.